Here we go again, just past 7 o'clock. You hear the music, you start getting excited. It's Ira on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira's not in studio with us tonight. We'll talk to him in one second. But Ira, speaking of getting excited... I just love College Bowl Selection Weekend. That gets me excited. You took in a great away game at one of your favorite stadiums. We'll talk more about that. But Ira, let's be honest. What you're most excited about is Eli Manning back under center for the Giants tonight. Well, this is a must win for the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> and it, it, it's like a pathetic in the game. You look at the weather in Philadelphia, it's pouring down rain. It's 20-mile-an-hour winds. Um, it looks horrendous. Whatever Eagle fans are going to be there are going to be in a bad mood. You have Giants fans, Eagle fans. Nobody's happy. Nobody likes their teams. And actually, the Eagles are still in the playoff hunt. So. Uh, Ira, you, you, know, you, you get all over the place. I'm sure you've been, not that the Steelers play that often, but I'm sure you've been to uh, the link before. Is it as bad as people say for the out-of-town fans? Right. I think I've said before it's the worst uh, stadium. I was there for the Minnesota uh, Philadelphia playoff game. I've never seen fans get treated like the Minnesota fans are treated by the Eagles. Eagle fans hate the Giant fans, um, but this is it's it's going to be it'll be interesting to watch on TV. And it's it's fun that Eli's coming back. I mean, it actually adds some juice to this game. There's only two more Monday night games after this, so it's exciting to have this. And I and I uh, Eli Manning, one of the all-time greats, and we talked about last week whether he should be in the Hall of Fame. But uh, I think that uh, I think it's going to be exciting to have this game and have Eli there. Um, Ira, tremendous guest tonight. It's Andrew Catalan. We've had him here on Ira on Sports before. If we're not familiar with him, he's one of the top voices uh, of the NFL, and he's going to join us at 735. Yes, I'm excited to have Andrew. He's uh, been to, you know, covered all the games this year for CBS. He goes to the games, does the broadcast. Sometimes you don't see him unless they show the, the faces, but his uh, crew is with James Lofton. And uh, they just did the uh, Steeler-Arizona uh, Cardinal game. And uh, was this sort of the game, same game I was at. So it'd be interesting to get his insights about that. And he's covered the Dolphins and Jacksonville. And I have so many questions to ask him. I cannot wait to have him on our show. Did you happen to know that he was going to be doing the game you were at? I did not know that. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I texted you. I'm watching the game on TV. I'm like, well, there's our guest tomorrow. And I can see Ira in the suites. Um, so, so talk about it. We always like to hear about where you've been. And this one's special because you just love uh, going out to Arizona. Yeah, I was just at Phoenix. I, it, was the, it was the first time I saw the Cardinal game. I was there for a uh, college football game uh, for Penn State for the Fiesta Bowl. But it was great to be in Phoenix, and I love the stadium. It's a tremendous stadium. Uh, let's get into it, Ira. Um, big, big, big weekend in college football, and I think we mostly got the results that we were expecting, at least. And we could start off with Oregon and Utah. I thought Utah would put up a little bit more of, of a fight here, but either way, uh, it was a good game. Well, Oregon wins 37-15. But when you look at where the polls were and how it's going to happen, there was a chance, uh, there was a very good chance. Utah wins that game and looks convincing. Utah's going to be that fourth spot instead of Oklahoma. Uh, very, uh, again, you look in your, in your Oregon, you win 37-15, and you think, we lost to Arizona State. Like all these teams, like Penn State, who lose to Minnesota, if they wouldn't have had that one other loss, it's not just the one loss that they think about. If they wouldn't have had that, they lost to Auburn before the year started, but if they didn't have that lost Arizona State, this might have been the game that Oregon used be in the playoff and and instead they're playing the Rose Bowl which is still a good game but it was a uh, it was just it was a uh, for both teams I think it was like a disappointing season because now Oregon's playing in the Rose Bowl and Utah's playing in uh and certainly not one of the big six bowls Tyler Huntley a quarterback for Utah and Zach Moss the running back this was their stage to show how great they were and they really did not have that great of games uh Huntley people compared him to Lamar Jackson and he just did not. He made the mistakes that he couldn't mistake all year long. He wasn't turning the ball over, interceptions. He just played poor, poorly. And uh, Utah held 11 of the 12 opponents to less than 100 yards rushing, um, one of the best defenses in the country. But Oregon was able to run all over it. And it was just a bad, bad loss. I mean, the first drive, Utah went down to the – it's all started on the first drive. Utah drove down to Oregon 33, ready to take control of the game. They had third and one. They ran Zach Moss twice on third and one, fourth and one. They got stopped on fourth down. And Justin Herbert, who we've talked about before, who people have been mentioning has been the number one quarterback in the draft, was better than Joe Burrow, should have been, a Heisman, should have been at the Heisman stage on Saturday. And everyone was waiting for him to have this monster game. He's really had a bad year, but, boy, that first half he looked great. He runs, takes the team down. They were up 10 nothing, uh, And then Huntley throws an interception. And then Oregon throws a four, Herbert throws a 45-yard pass uh, to Johnson, make it 17 nothing. And, again, Utah goes down on fourth and two and get stopped again when Huntley uh, tried to uh, do a quarterback sneak. So it's a 20 nothing halftime lead. 
uh, just easily for, for Oregon. Uh, in the second half, Herbert, though, went back to normal how Herbert plays. I, after watching him in a game like this, he, everyone, I mean, again, he is going to be picked very high in the draft. I mean, he could be a first round, could be second round, but he doesn't have that touch on the passes. He throws one way, very much like Mason Rudolph. I want to compare that. Is that, that, that you can see is sometimes you just have to, don't throw the ball so hard. Just let your ride receiver get it. And it just seems like he knows one speed. He's like a one-speed pitcher. He'd be a great closer, perhaps. But he just doesn't do it, doesn't have that extra speed. But he didn't play well in the second half. And Utah actually came back. And at the end of the third, it was 23-15. Uh, and Utah has the ball with a chance uh, to, to tie the game. And actually, maybe Utah wins it, goes to the, 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 uh, the playoffs. But, uh, but, but Oregon was able to stop Utah, and then Verdell for Oregon ran a 70-yard run, run for touchdown, and Oregon just ran away with the game. But Huntley had two interceptions on the game. He carried the ball 14 times for two yards. He could not get anything with his running at all. And Herbert was just 14 for 26, 193 and a touchdown. But just the total yards, the fact that um, Oregon was able to get 432 yards on Utah's great defense uh, just showed uh, it just Utah wasn't ready for it. And now uh, they're out of the, they were out. That helped clear up. There was no debate. If Utah would have won that game, people would have said, okay, let's see what happens on Saturday. But that cleared everything up. Utah, Oregon, both out. Now we can concentrate on Saturday and see really what became between Oklahoma and Baylor and Georgia to go for the college football playoff. Yeah, and I was super excited for Oklahoma and Baylor. I, I thought that this was going to be a good game, and it, it turned into it. I know you were loving it, too. You know, we're, we're texting back and forth as this one's going on. But it lived up to the hype, and Oklahoma is, you know, did what they needed to do. You've been talking about it on I run sports for weeks. Got to do what you what you need to do. Beat these you know teams, especially in the conference championship games. And Oklahoma went ahead and did it. Well, it was thirty twenty three in overtime. It was one of the craziest football games I have ever seen. I've seen a lot of crazy ones, but Oklahoma jumps out there with a with a long pass. I mean, Hertz goes to. I mean, first of all, let's just give Baylor a little credit. Two years ago, they lost eleven games. They had literally no players on the team. Matt Rule comes there and has done one of the greatest coaching jobs of all time. And I'm telling you, Matt Rule really has his choice of where he's going to go next year. When you see, I mean, he's, we're talking the Cowboys, the Jets, the Browns. Like, he's going somewhere in the NFL, and it's going to be a bit. Don't be surprised at all, because he almost had the Jets job last year. But so the Baylor, tremendous, tremendous, whatever. But the first half, I mean, this was a game where Baylor, the first time they played a month ago, they, had, they were up by 25 points. Oklahoma came back and won 34-31. Uh, the hand Baylor their first loss, and Oklahoma had already lost to Kansas State. But in this game, um, Oklahoma jumped out to a 10-0 lead, um, and they're just cruising along. I mean, I thought it, it, this game had the sense that Oklahoma was just going to blow them out. But Jalen Hurts, now, he fumbled again. This, it's just so frustrating, and you're going to see it when they play LSU. He cannot turn the ball over. He just, it was a stupid mistake. He just fumbles, doesn't have it. Fields for Ohio State, it's the same problem, where they just they keep looking at the field, and they can't hold onto the ball in the pocket. And it's a sixth-lost fumble on the season. And, but the key thing is when Baylor came back, Charlie Brewer, who's their superstar quarterback, a great year, but he scrambled. And we talked about these quarterbacks that run. Well, he got, hit in the, he got hit in the head. He gets up. He tries to play. I can't believe there's not much more discussion. The fact that he went out of the game, came back in the game, was in the game. Finally, the umpire, uh, the referee, said, had to say to the Baylor bench, we're taking him out of the game, take him to the locker room for observation, and then he wasn't allowed back in at all. And the backup quarterback, Gary Bohannon, came in, into the game, and, and he, he did okay in the first half. I mean, he led them down. He was throwing the ball, and actually it was uh, 13-10 uh, Baylor. They, uh, they only had 98 yards in the first half, but it just Oklahoma was just – they just were uh, – hurts through another interception, just a mess on offense. And, uh, and just in one of those games where you're like, oh, my gosh, Oklahoma's going to blow this game. Baylor might have a chance for the college football playoff. But in the second half, Oklahoma comes out. They score. They go touchdown, field goal, touchdown. They're up 23-10. Baylor goes three straight punts. This game is over. Bohannon, the backup quarterback, four for 15. So what does Matt Roll do? He brings in Jacob Zeno, who's thrown two passes the entire year. Jacob Zeno, no one ever heard of. His first pass goes for 81 yards, and then and then his, then he throws to make it. And then he throws his next pass for another 70 yards to tie it, 23-23. Just an amazing. He was two for two for 160 yards. And just, but this shows Oklahoma's defense. This shows the problem that what LSU is going to do to Oklahoma, why they're 13-point favorites in the game, is that Oklahoma, they look like they have a great defense, but they give those big plays up. Now, I know they had injuries in the secondary and they had other issues, 
But Oklahoma's had this problem uh, against Alabama last year in the, in the Orange Bowl where they gave up these big, big plays, and that's what's going to happen. LSU is going to destroy Oklahoma. Uh, Joe Burrow is going to, it's going to be a field day for him. They're going to score 50 points against his defense because as much as I say they can stop the run, they play smart, but they give up these big plays all the time, and that's what happened. And, and then, but it let Baylor go back in the game, and Oklahoma had a chance then to win. They were driving down, and they were unable to get, they even get a field goal off goes into overtime, they score, and finally their defense by a run, and then they stop Baylor. But they won in overtime. But it was, it was one of those wins that wasn't convincing. And if Utah would have had just smashed Oregon, I think Utah would have been in. And if Alabama would not have lost to Auburn, I bet you Alabama would have got in this game too. Because Oklahoma won, but that's all they had to do. Now, and they were finished with that game, and they're saying, okay, we're in as long as LSU beats Georgia. And that was, but it was, again, what everyone kept saying, well, Oklahoma's going to have to blow out Baylor. Well, they didn't have to because everyone else lost. Ira, do you think you brought up the line 13 at the opening? You think that's a fair line? Would you have gone higher, lower? It's... I feel like they're making a case against the 18 playoff with this. And seeing, you know... Seeing the fourth-ranked team in the country be a two-touchdown almost underdog to the one seed, why do we need eight teams just to get, get demolished? What would you have done with that line? And What's your, what's your take on 18 playoffs now? I have been always for 18 playoffs because I think that if you win your conference championship, you should get in. I tell you, I might be rethinking it. It worked out perfectly for the four-team playoff people because they're like, the Pac-12 didn't deserve to get in. They had two teams, their champions didn't really beat anybody outside their conference. They both had two losses. There was no claim. And then you didn't get the two SEC teams that everybody was concerned about. You had a team from each conference. And actually, three of the four Heisman Trophy finalists, Hurts from Oklahoma, Burrow from LSU, Fields from Ohio State, all. So you have all the three quarterbacks of the Heisman Trophy finalists from three different conferences. And, I mean, the whole problem with the five, there's the fact that there's five main conferences and there's only four spots. But this year it just worked out perfectly. So, yeah, it's a, but I, I think Jalen Hurts, I, he, is gonna, he was uh, through for 287, uh, 287 yards, but he carried the ball 23 times for only 38 yards, which is just absolutely horrendous. And, and they, they destroyed Baylor. I mean, 21 to 8 first downs, 433 to 265 yards. But I just think Oklahoma has trouble. They, their offense bogs down. Hurts makes mistakes. Burrow is going to – I think LSU blows this game out. I mean, I really think this is like a three to four touchdown game, uh, and that's why it was so important we're going to talk about who gets the number one seat, LSU or Ohio State, because that because I think Oklahoma, of course, was the easy out compared to Clemson. No, and I agree with that. And I agree with you on the line, too. I would have went higher. I think they're just embarrassed to open up a 20 or 21-point line in what's supposed to be, uh, you know, the fourth best team in the country versus the best. Um, well, let's talk about it. LSU and Georgia, Ira, and this is what made me think about it. I thought this game would be a little bit close. I thought LSU would win, but I thought Georgia put up more of a fight, but Burrow just had them from the, from the first possession on. Well, I mean, Georgia, this is another game where Georgia says, we didn't lose to South Carolina. We have one loss. We lose to LSU. They're in the game. Like, everybody has those losses, and that's what's neat about the 14 playoffs. That second loss really kills you. And that's what, so Georgia had to win this game. They're down 17-3 at halftime. They really had no offense whatsoever. I was impressed with LSU's defense. As much as Georgia had not really had, was impressive this year on offense, but LSU really stopped Georgia. Didn't just control the entire game. And, uh, um, I mean, LSU had 481 yards on Georgia's defense, and Georgia only had 250 yards. Uh, Burrow was tremendous. Four touchdowns, 350 passing, uh, 49 yards passing. Justin Jefferson, Terrence Marshall, Marshall, and Jamar Chase, three NFL quality wide receivers. Uh, it was just, it was a blood. I mean, the score was, uh, at one point, it was uh, 34 to 3. So it was like one of those games where you're excited about, you're waiting for it. It's almost a home game for Georgia. I mean, they're playing in Atlanta, and they just got blown out. And this is the game where people say, well, why is LSU number one? That was the game. Now, Georgia is a, one of the top, what's growing the game, is the fourth-ranked team in the country under the, uh, under the poll that they use, the college football playoff poll. And LSU totally destroyed them. And that's why LSU, I don't think there's a, I think they've been trying to make a story about LSU over Ohio State. I think LSU clearly deserves to be the number one team. 719, it's Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, CBS play-by-play guy. I, I, Andrew Catalan joins us at 735. Had him on before. He's an excellent interview, so stick around for that. Clemson and Virginia, Ira, and Virginia, by the way, going to face off against uh, Florida Gators, I believe, in their bowl game. But Clemson sent them off with a butt-whooping 62-17. to 17. Well, 
Virginia was two, three touchdown underdog coming in there. And I got to give Virginia credit for the first, like part of the first quarter, Bryce Perkins, who actually led the ACC in yards, their quarterback, came down and scored a touchdown. It was 7-7. But after that, Clemson and, and Trevor Lawrence just bomb after bomb after bomb. T. Higgins, seven catches, 117 yards, two touchdowns, and Justin Ross, three catches for 94. It was like every time they got the ball, it was a long, it was, it was, it was a pass. They are, I, I, I mean, not many people watch the game. Everybody's watching the Ohio State game. I'm sitting at a bar in Phoenix watching this game and both at the same time, but just totally blew them out. And, and, and you got to give, I said, Virginia credit. They had 193 total yards on Clemson, which is the most that Clemson has, has in, the, in the first half, which is, which is amazing. But, uh, and they gave up 300. They actually had 387 yards total for the, for the game. But, uh, but just, it was just a, just a complete dominant performance on the part of Clemson's part. It was expected. And, uh, and, uh, but, but what's so interesting is in the fourth quarter, Chase Bryce is in the game. Their backup quarterback started the fourth quarter. Every, and everyone says, well, Clemson hasn't played anybody. But, and, and I agree. They are 63-2 and two since 2015 against ACC teams. But they're just dominant. And I think we're going to go back and predict the games. I think Clemson's beating. Clemson's a two-and-a-half or one-and-a-half to two-point favorite of Ohio State. I think they're by far better than Ohio State. I think they're, they're, they're going to beat Clemson, and I think Clemson's the best team. I know they've had no competition, but Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback. He's the one who's not on the stage. He's the one quarterback who's not at the Heisen Trophy uh, celebration on Saturday, but I think he's by far the best quarterback, and I think they're by far the best team, and Clemson, this is, they're going to go back-to-back national champions. Well, Ira, you know, it, it, um, well, it, it's a bold prediction because I will take LSU to beat them, but half the reason that a lot of people think Ohio State's so vulnerable is because because they didn't look good early on against Wisconsin. They looked like they were going to lose the game. I mean, Wisconsin, i got to give Wisconsin credit. They got in a game like this, they, they won the toss and they didn't defer. They said, we're going to take the ball. And, and Jack Cohn, their quarterback, played great. And, uh, I mean, this is a team that Ohio State beat 38-7 a month ago. And Jonathan Taylor just runs 50 yards right up the middle for a touchdown. And you've seen Ohio State's defense just the last against Michigan, against Penn State. There's these times when they just haven't looked good at all. And, uh, and, and Fields, you know, Fields, i got to give him credit. He, was, he hung in the game and tried to keep them. But they were losing. Ohio State was down 7 nothing in the first quarter, the first time they've trailed in the first quarter after a quarter of the whole season. And uh, Wisconsin drove down again and uh, went down on fourth and three, and they went up 14 nothing. And it was like, this is going to be an upset. And, uh, but you have to give uh, Ohio State, they tried a fake punt for a first down. They got the, they got the fake punt, but Fields goes down to the four-yard line and fumbles, just like Hurts does and just like Fields did against Penn State. I mean, these quarterbacks that are running, when you have the quarterback that has to run the ball and pass the ball, they just cannot turn the ball over. And it's just, it was just a killer there. And, uh, you know, and, they, uh, and they ended up, it was, uh, Wisconsin took a lead of 21-7. to and it looked like, I mean, this, this definitely, I was with a bunch of Ohio State fans, and they're very nervous. I mean, Taylor was running great, 13 carries for 135 yards and a touchdown. Uh, it was just, uh, it was, and they ended up running for 200 yards for the whole game. But in the second half, I mean, it was just all Ohio State. I mean, they, uh, they outscored them 28 to nothing, uh, just dominated. And, uh, it, it, but everything was constant. It seemed like that second half, Wisconsin just totally fell apart. They were trying to punt the ball, and they, the punter drops it. It was a mess all around. And Ohio State just completely just dominated them and scored all the points. And uh, Dobbins, 33 carries. I, I, look, there's two Ohio State players that made Chase Young – and Fields are in the Heisman, for the Heisman Trophy, I think J.K. Dobbins is the better player. I think he's the most valuable player for that team. 33 carries, 172 yards, and a touchdown. It literally, after, in every big game, he's carrying the ball 30 times a game, averaging having over 150 to 200 yards a game. Uh, I think Dobbins is the key, key guy. I mean, Ohio State gave up 432 total yards, including 200 rushing yards. I mean, Ohio State's defense is supposed to be so great, so amazing, and that's where I think Clemson's going to exploit them. I, Ohio State, to me, does not look like they're going to be able to stop Clemson, and I think Clemson can stop Ohio State. So I, I, as much as that line is, too, I would bet heavy on Clemson in that game. Ira, what are some other uh, games you were keeping your eye on? Because one of them saw a local coach pack his bags. It seemed like every Memphis beat Cincinnati 29-24 in the American Championship game, so Mike Norvell took the job to, at Florida State, Memphis's coach. Uh, and, then, uh, and then in the Sun Belt, Appalachian State, which has produced great coach. Scott Satterfield was the coach last year, went to Louisville. This year, Eli Drinkwitz, uh, they beat Louisiana Tech, and then he goes to Missouri. 
And, uh, and then the, in the Sunbelt game, Florida Atlantic beat UAB 49-6. Lane Kiffin goes to Mississippi. So if you win your conference game as a non-Power 5 conference, then you get to go take a bigger job. And go. <laughs> so it was interesting to see where every, it was like they were not, you're watching the games between Florida Atlantic and you're watching they're on. And in the middle of the games, they're like, he's announcing. Like, was he negotiating and he's coaching? Is it delayed or what's going on? So it, what, that was uh, that was interesting to see what was happening. But, you know, good luck. I mean, every, some of these coaches are going to be – I mean, everyone thought when Scott Frost left uh, Central Florida and went to, uh, and went to uh, Nebraska, that he was going to be a magician and turn everything around. It's, it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's very hard to step in. Now, Urban Meyer was able to do it. Urban Meyer went from Bowling Green to Utah to Florida, to, of course, to Ohio State winning everywhere. But it's a lot of these guys that you see get fired, at, like Arkansas, Chad Morris, uh, they were great coaches. At, he was a great coach at SMU. So sometimes success does not translate. So you're like excited that the Memphis coach got this great job, but it's a lot harder when you're playing with the levels of the Alabama and the Clemsons and everything. All right, Iris. So break down the playoff for us. Well, it's it's it's, it's gonna, the the LSU uh, the LSU Oklahoma game. I just think LSU is going to blow them out, as I said. And I think Clemson. Uh, I think Clemson Ohio State. I think it's going to be a great game. I'm probably going to be at that game, but I think Clemson ends up. Uh, I think Clemson ends up winning it by about two touchdowns. It's interesting. The championship has been for six years. This is sixth year. Um, Ohio State uh, has been championed one time. Bama two times. Clemson two times. And this is the first time Bama hasn't been in it. Clemson's been in it five out of six years. Ohio State three. Oklahoma three. So as much as we have parity in the college football, and people talk, the four teams that are in it are uh, are there. I mean, Oregon, Florida State, Michigan State, Washington, Georgia, and Notre Dame have all been in the college football playoff, but only one time. And LSU once. This is their first year. Uh, but the Pac-12 has only been in it two times. And really, really, the reason is their champions have always had two losses or three losses or two losses, whereas the SEC is seven, ACC six, Big Ten four, and uh, the Big 12 three. Uh, but again, we talked about why there's eight or four. Only three times has a Power Five one-loss champion not made it. Uh, Baylor and TCU won weird year in 2014 when they all had like one, tied with one loss, and Ohio State last year. So that means that if you win your championship, you have one loss, and even just one loss, you're going to make the college football playoff. So that, uh, this worked out perfectly. We talked about this all year. It was exciting, and now we have uh, really two big games in the playoffs on, on the Saturday, on the 28th, and then uh, the championship game two weeks later. But the number one seed, this is bad for LSU, the number one seed in the five years has never won uh, the championship. It's 7.27. Uh, You're listening to Iron Sports. It's the True Oldies channel. It's 7.35. Andrew Catalan from CBS going to join us, talk a lot about football with him. But, Ira, let's talk about football with you. And you were at, um, you were in Phoenix for the Cardinals and the Steelers. Tell us a little bit about this game. And you said that the suites there were as nice as you've ever seen. It's not just the suites. A quarter of the stadium gets in the club seats. I mean, everything is nice. If you're not in a club seat, you're in a great seat. Every view in the stadium is perfect. It, this stadium is perfect. It's like the perfect. It, they built this in 1998. Um, when they moved, in 19, the Cardinals moved in 1988. And, sorry, the Cardinals moved from St. Louis. It took till 2006 to get them a new stadium. It's a retractable roof stadium. What's cool is they take the, the turf goes out of the stadium, and then they leave it outside. But it's hosted BCS National Championship Games. They have three Super Bowls. Uh, it's, it's, it, but it, it's in Glendale, so it's, it's close enough to the airport. I mean, everything in Arizona is like 15, 20 minutes away. So it's not like we're in Tempe where the old stadium was, but I've never seen a club like this. First of all, they let you in three hours before. So you're getting there, you get to watch all the early games. It is enormous. I mean, it's like a U from everywhere, the whole sections. There's no, you're never crowded. There's enough bathrooms. They have so many food, places to sit, watch the games. Like you could go to Vegas at, a, at one of the Vegas places with all the big screen TVs, a sports book, and not have a, a, a nicer place to watch the games. And there's different places to go. There's this one area they had a band playing. They had like soft music and jazz. It went to relax. And, but, and everywhere you walk around the club, you can be inside and still watch the action and see what's happening on the field. But I just, we had vegetarians. I'm, I'm talking about this food. I've never seen so much food. Carving stations. What they did right, I should be like a 
sports consultants, they, you don't put everything in one place. Like you have lots of little like stands, so that way you don't you don't have these big lines when everybody's waiting for one place. I mean, whoever designed the stadium, it was the perfect stadium. It was great, and everyone was friendly. Everyone who was giving, I mean, they were wonderful in terms of like uh, just helping, showing you where to go. My friend bought Fiesta Bowl tickets, wanted me to see where they went. The guy took me to the seats actually and said, "What do you think about this?" And I mean, I've never seen more helpful, knowledgeable people blown away. Very good. Great, great, great. The, whole, the club section was nice. The stadium is nice. Probably the best stadium I've ever been to. All right, Ira, we got about five minutes till Andrew Catalan joins us. Let's talk about the game. And i got to tell you, this was a game that I thought was like a trap game. I saw Pittsburgh going away, playing against Arizona, who've been beaten twice in a row. Arizona's getting two points in their house. I'm like, the Cardinals are going to bounce back and win this game against a third-string quarterback, right? Well, yeah, but um, I am on the Steeler bandwagon. Like, you can't get – I mean, people yell at me like, oh, Ira, you talk about the Steelers too much. Well, when the Steelers are the Super Bowl in Miami, I don't know what they're going to keep saying because this Steeler team is just – Doc Hodges is perfect. The defense is perfect. Everything is perfect. I mean, they, they come out 10 nothing. Uh, over and, and I was interested in the Cardinals because of Kyler Murray, their rookie quarterback from Oklahoma, and saw what he could see, what he could do, and, and see him in person. But they they shut him down in the first quarter, and DeAndre Johnson returns a punt for a touchdown. They're up ten nothing, and when even when Benny Snell fumbled the ball, it was like the defense was like so excited. They're like, okay. I think the Steeler defense would say, give the other team the ball at the 10-yard line, we'll stop them. We'll help them to field goal. We'll force a turnover. Because their defensive line, they lost to it. But between Hargrave, Hayward, and this guy, Alalu, who you've seen, and their linebackers, Dupree, Watt, and Bush, What's so great about them is when you're there in person, you can see they rush and they drop back. Like, you don't know. Murray had no idea where everybody was coming. And their sec defensive backs, Mika Fitzpatrick, who Nick Saban said was the best player ever had, uh, Terrell Edmonds, who was the best player at Virginia Tech, and Joe Hayden, who was an all-pro, they, they, they tackle and they cover. I mean, this defense is perfect. They've actually developed it, and that's why they're turning all – they remind me of Troy Palfanalo when they play, is that they don't mind tackling. They don't mind making the tackles. And that's why Kyler Murray, he just couldn't – generate anything. Every time he tried to run around, he's getting sacked or knocked down. Um, and it was just, it was, that's why I think they have a good chance against Lamar Jackson when they play them. And, 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 the, and the Cardinals, they had a team. I mean, Christian Kirk is this young wide receiver that they had, and Larry Fitzgerald, who is a veteran, but one of the greatest players to ever play the game, but still plays well. But they, just the Steeler defense caused a lot of problems for them. And, uh, but I'll have to say, the Cardinals in the first half, I mean, it was 10-10. They actually tied the score 10-10. And, uh, um, but then I liked, I liked at the end of the first half, the Steelers drove down with a minute 51 to go and kicked a field goal. Duck Hodges is perfect. He scrambles. He had a 22-yard perfect scramble. When it's, nothing's there, he runs with the ball. He completes the third and two passes that are, that are really he – was, he was just amazing. I mean, for the first half, he was 9-10 and 10 for 90 yards. And they took that lead. And then in the second half, the Cardinals, they drove down to the 26-yard line, and, uh, and, they, uh, and then they, Murray threw an interception. He only had – he had three interceptions all year, and then he had three in this game. And then Duck drove down, and one of the best drives. I mean, they use Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, Kyle White. There's no Le'Veon Bell. There's no James Conner. And the offensive play calling was great. They even had this play. They ran a flea flicker. And you see flea flickers that don't work, and the quarterback's like panics and just gets tackled. He just scrambled and got a first down. It was perfect. And their wide receivers, James Washington, they know how to draw pass interference penalties. I mean, people were texting me, I don't think Duck's the guy. And I'm like, he's phenomenal. Just watch him play. And it was, and it was great. And then the Cardinals drove down. It was the key play of the entire game. It was fourth and two. And, uh, and Kingsbury, their coach, decides to go with it. There was like seven minutes to go in the game. So he goes with it, goes for it on fourth and two, and not kicking the field goal, even though they were down ten. And Murray had a first down, the fourth two on the sixth, and he tries to throw the ball. T.J. Watt intercepts it, and uh, then the Steelers controlled it, uh, controlled it. But then they stupidly tried to fake punt. What happened is the Cardinals tried to were in a position. They, they pretended like they were not ready for the punt, so the Steelers tried the fake punt, but it was a trick, and then the Cardinals got the ball back, scored a touchdown. But the Steelers then ran the clock out, perfect 11-play, 77-yard drive, ended in a field goal. Duck Hodges was, a, was amazing. And he ended up game 16 for 19, not many yards, 152 yards, five carries to 34 yards, but a, just a great win uh, holding on. And, and then the Arizona got the ball at the end, and they just stacked Murray another two or three times uh, to end it. But it, it, it was a perfect – this Steeler team – 
this is what they can do to Lamar Jackson. They can stop Patrick Mahomes. They can start Lamar Jackson. New England isn't perfect. I am very high on the Steelers team. I'm telling you, the Steelers team can go to the Super Bowl. I know it sounds crazy and it sounds delusional, but this team is perfectly capable of going to the Super Bowl. And they're eight and five. They're not like five and eight. I mean, they are positioned to win the wild card. They remind me of the team that like Ben Rossberger had uh, the first time they went to the playoffs. No one was talking about them. Defense, defense, defense. Ben made the key plays, and they ended up beating uh, Seattle in the Super Bowl. It's 734. This is Ira on Sports on 95.9, the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's time to bring in Andrew Catalan. You know him. CBS play-by-play, NFL, NCAA hoops, uh, golf. You can follow him on Twitter, at Andrew Catalan. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us once again here on Ira on Sports. And do you think Ira's crazy? He's got Super Bowl aspirations for the Steelers. (laughs) Well, guys, first, thanks for having me on. Happy holidays. I appreciate you uh, having me back on your show. And and look, obviously, I was there yesterday. I called the, the Steelers Cardinals game on CBS, and you know, I'm really impressed with Pittsburgh. I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on the Super Bowl, but <laughs> I, I, I do want to see how they can, you know, reintegrate Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner once they're finally healthy. Because I think to Ira's point, or to your point, like I, I think the defense they they are Super Bowl caliber or championship caliber. But to me, it's the offense, obviously, that ha- is going to have to figure out a way to consistently score points. And, you know, when you're talking about the playoff seeds, Duck Hodges going on the road in tough environments, uh, you know, that that's my question for them as they would progress through January. Ira, what do you have? Andrew, but aren't you impressed with the Steeler play calling? Like, it was like they were – there was the whole kitchen sink – I guess the kitchen sink with Freddie Kitchen, but not his sink, but someone else's sink. But they were using every play, reverses, um, using people different. I have never seen – the Steelers have never had an offense like they tried. I mean, they were doing – and it was working. I mean, they were bringing – they were playing four uh, running backs uh, and, and, and just doing every single thing possible to confuse Arizona. And, it, and, it, and it, was, it was conservative, but it actually worked. Yeah, you know, and part of that is because they have so many new parts on offense that – you know, there's only a certain number of plays that Deion Kane has. There's only a certain number of runs that Kareth White is capable of doing as they try to just, you know, play catch-up. These are all guys they've added within the last few weeks. So, you know, I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is they don't have, you know, the home run hitter right now. They they don't have the guy that can consistently take the top off a of defense or break out a 15-yard run. So, I love the way they're piecing it together. I think each week is a different game plan. But, again, the key for them offensively is trying to get Schuster, Smith-Schuster and Connor back. If they can do that, then, then my perspective on them you know, really making a run will change. Well, you were at the Cincinnati, you were covering the Cincinnati Pittsburgh game when they, when Tomlin, I was, saw the moment when it was bounced, when, uh, when Mason Rudolph bounced the ball to DeAndre Johnson, and Tomlin just looked at Doc Hodges like, you're in, <laughs> that type of look. Um, <laughs> talk about, in terms of, of, of what the Steelers see in Doc Hodges and why they were so quick to make that move and, and, and confident that, that, and, and clearly make the statement last week that like, he's the quarterback for the rest of the year. Yeah, what a story. I mean, you know, I, I had so many additional nuggets that I that I just didn't have time to work into the broadcast yesterday. But but in sitting and chatting with Doug Hodges for about 20 minutes on Saturday afternoon, it's really fascinating, his path. And, you know, I think a big thing that he told us was being on the practice squad earlier in the year and taking those scout team reps, it, it accomplished a number of things. First, it helped him identify protections better. I mean, it's Samford. He was just throwing five wides, throwing the ball 60 times, get it and go. There wasn't really much in terms of identifying a defense. So that was a big adjustment for him. So it certainly helped when he was on the practice squad against the first-team Steelers defense, which he also said you know, was, was a big help because, as you guys have talked about, they have a very good defense. So for him to go against them in practice every day was huge. And, you know, I, I just think that, He's so laid back. I mean, what you see is what you get. He doesn't seem to get rattled. And I I think Mike Tomlin really appreciates that and likes that. I I think that, you know, even though yesterday was a road game, it didn't feel like a road game. But, you know, I I definitely feel that there's a certain confidence that he has, not an arrogance, but a confidence that Hodges has that he can go out there and get the job done. And the game doesn't seem too fast for him. He lets it come to him. And and he made some really nice plays yesterday, even, you know, a couple of scrambles when, uh, you know, nothing was there. He was able to find some running lanes. So, you know, again, it's three starts, can't go crazy, but it, but he's certainly 
put the Steelers in position to make the playoffs. Well, I'm I'm allowed to go crazy. <laughs> <I'm> crazy. <laughs> but anyway, but you also had a chance this week to talk to Kyler Murray and and get a sense of I mean he uh, I mean Arizona's given him the team that he's they got rid of Josh Rosen for him he's their man and started out great the first part of the, the season but the last couple games it seems like have teams either caught up to what he's doing is he is he's he did not seem to be confident uh, that one fourth and two play when he could easily got the first down and probably the touchdown by running it he tries to force the pass he seems to be. Uh, he doesn't have that explosiveness. I saw him in the Orange Bowl against Alabama where he just, they couldn't tackle him, and he seems like you just touch him. Uh, you just, you know, he was arm tackling him the whole game and, and sacking him. So what, what, what's his feeling in, uh, going into the now the final like, three games of the season? Yeah, well, you're right. You know, they, did, they did get off to a good start in terms of the offense, and actually the offense has done fairly well this year. It's really been the defense that, that's just killed Arizona. But, you know, he did have a, a bad hamstring the week before, and, and that was their worst game of the year against the Rams. They, did, they just took it on the chin against L.A. And, you know, they played a little bit better against Pittsburgh. But, you know, to me, Pittsburgh has one of the better defenses in the NFL. So I totally agree with you. First of all, I would have kicked a field goal, but, but, but on that fourth and two play, he had a running lane. Maybe the hamstring's in his mind. Maybe he's thinking, you know, I'm still not there yet with my hamstring. He, he told us that the hamstring was fine, but you know, I don't expect a lot of guys to go out there and, and make any excuses. So maybe that was a factor. I think, I think in time this offense is going to be okay. I, I, think, I think Cliff Kingsbury could be a very good offensive head coach. Whether or not that translates to the whole team, well, you know, time will tell. He's still a young guy, and it's only his first year. But you know, clearly they need to shore up their defense. But, yeah, I think that there, there are a lot of positives, and they've been happy with Kyler Murray for the most part this year. So, I mean, you're with these back of quarterbacks stepping in, you were at the game, and we're going to mention a name that most people don't know because it's like with a game that, that uh, that's this, even today's game, no one saw it was on. It was that the Denver uh, Charger game. But Drew Locke, two weeks ago uh, from Missouri, who – Weeks ago, for like last year, people were saying, oh, might be top first-round pick, but then didn't have a good senior year. But, boy, what a first two. He's been hurt the whole part of the year. But what a, you saw him in the Chargers, his first game of Drew Locke. So if Drew Locke ends up being a Heisman, I mean a Heisman, the NFL MVP, you like saw the first game. But talk about <laughs> the emergence. Finally, has Denver found their quarterback after these two games with Drew Locke for Adam Missouri? Yeah, you know, he's he's another guy that when you met with him, it wasn't arrogance, but it was confidence. And, and he had a lot of faith and belief in what he can do out there and you know I think it's a good situation for him now Denver I don't think they've been mathematically eliminated but they're you know all intents and purposes are out of it and you know he can go out there and not worry about making some of these rookie mistakes and and you know they have some really good young guys on offense Cortland Sutton is one of the more underrated receivers in the NFL and the first round pick Noah Fan has really come along I know he got hurt yesterday, but I, but I do believe that that he could be a piece for them for years to come. And Philip Lindsay is an excellent running back, so I think that he's got playmakers around him. He's got the confidence. He's got John Elway, who's at every practice, and certainly he could bounce whatever he needs to off John Elway and even Joe Flacco, who has been a big help to Drew Locke as well. So yeah, I mean, two starts. I mean, to me, that yesterday is one of the biggest surprises of the NFL season what Denver did in Houston. I mean, I, I'm still stunned by not only the result, but just the, the way it happened, the score. It's just unbelievable to me that Houston could do that after they beat New England in a game they had to have. So, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to Denver and to Drew Locke, and, and certainly if he can continue on this trend over the last three games, you know, I think that's definitely going to steer John Elway and the Broncos away from drafting another quarterback or going after a free agent quarterback. I would assume that he'd be the guy, you know, in the off season going into week one next year. Well, you mentioned that Houston, uh, again, I mean, Deshaun Watson one week looks like MVP Deshaun Watson, and the second next week he looks like, what's he doing? And uh, you, I think did you did the Raiders-Texans uh, games a few weeks ago, but, I mean, what did you, I mean, he had a, and, and he, uh, what, what is happening with Houston? I mean, as a Steelers fan, I almost hope, like, there'll be a wild card. I'm, like, hoping that they have Houston in the first round because it's like a team that is, like, tailor-made for the Steelers defense to force Watson into, like, four interceptions and stuff like that. What, where do you think is, what is happening with Houston? Yeah, I mean, I watched a lot of the game two weeks ago on Sunday night when they beat New England, and I, I thought they looked great. And then I didn't get to watch much yesterday, but obviously I saw the result and, and saw some of the highlights. And I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of Deshaun Watson. To me, he's one of the the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I really believe that. I think that 
obviously he's still young, but he he's he's already in that top five class for me. I think he's that good, and DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best receivers in the NFL. So I don't know what happened yesterday. I mean, Vic Fangio's got a very good defense with Denver, uh, so so that's part of it. But but there's no excuses for Houston yesterday. That that is a game that they just got blown out at at home, coming off a New England win. And and you're right that you know they have the talent to to make a run, but. There's nothing guaranteed with this team. I mean, if you if they went out and lost a, a home, you know, wild card game to the Steelers or the Bills, I don't think anybody would be surprised, especially after what they saw yesterday. So they have three games to get it right. And and again, two games ago they beat New England. So I, you know, I can't can't go crazy after this one game, but but it's a head scratcher uh, when when you see something like that. So if you haven't watched. Tennessee, you would think that, oh, it's Marcus Mariota, and they, they really just run the ball with Derrick Henry, and they're off, really no offense and a lot of defense. And then they take Ryan Tannehill, who down here in West Palm Beach, I'm, I'm in L.A. right now, but, I was, but, I, but we're broadcasting, of course, out of West Palm Beach, and uh, they couldn't wait to get Ryan Tannehill gone. I mean, there was, like, there was no Ryan Tannehill fan club to stay here in Miami. He goes as a backup quarterback to Tennessee, and now he just throws for 300 yards. It seems like every single game, and and they're throwing bombs. I mean, it's like St. Louis Rams of 20 years ago in these long passes. Where what has happened to Tennessee? You know, for Tannehill, I think it just getting a fresh start and a fresh perspective, and being humbled by becoming the backup quarterback after he was the starter for so many years in Miami. I think it's done wonders for him. I think this is like a wake-up call for him and, and sitting and watching and going through the second-team reps the whole first half of the year. And, you know, that, that'll that really change your perspective on things. And, obviously, whatever it did to him is working because, you know, he could be the NFL comeback player of the year. He could get a, a long-term contract by Tennessee when this is all said and done. So, kudos to him because you guys know well, after watching him with the Dolphins, and I did a number of his games in Miami as well, that, yeah, it seemed like his career was kind of puttering out a little bit, and then here he is bringing it back and resurrecting it with Tennessee. And, you know, Tennessee is a team that, you know, they play physical. They're very well coached. Mike Vrabel is an excellent coach, and they've got a lot of momentum right now. And, you know, what they did to Oakland yesterday wasn't even a game, and another game Oakland had to have, and then Tennessee blew them away. And the only thing with the Titans you look at is they have three games left, two against Houston and one against New Orleans. So I know from a Pittsburgh perspective, that's probably music to your ears because that's a tough schedule to finish up the season. But there's no doubt they're one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now and certainly capable of getting in the playoffs. And, and to keep it down here in Miami, um, you did the Dolphins twice this year. You did the first game against Baltimore, and then I think you did the Bills game too. What's your sense? I mean, it, I'm, I'm actually sensing optimism. I know with a three-win team it's hard to sense optimism, but, but I think people like how Miami competes. I think they like Brian Flores as a coach. What's your sense of, of the Dolphins? I mean, they got rid of their entire team. I mean, they thought they were – people were surprised they could even score a point this year, let alone win some games. Yeah, you know, I didn't really – you know, the, I was there week one, and, you know, you kind of go in with a blank canvas, and then you come away from that game against Baltimore, and you're thinking, is Baltimore really this good or is Miami this bad? And and it looked like for a few weeks the answer to the question was Miami's that bad, but – you know, credit to, to Flores because, you know, I, as you said, I had them in Buffalo in mid-October, and that was a completely different team than I saw week one against the Ravens. And, you know, I think a lot of it is just the the sheer number of new players, the guys in and out the door the first month of the season. I know it's it's continued a little bit, but certainly not at the rate that it happened early on, right around week one. And, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick telling us week one, I, uh, there was a guy in the huddle at practice that, that he didn't even know his name. I mean, those types of things, <laughs> while they sound crazy, were actually true. And 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 credit to them, they have settled in. Uh, they are playing hard. And, and I, think they, I think they have a guy here in Flores who can be the coach for a long time. I mean, I, I really like his makeup. I like where his background, the way he's this journey that's taken him to be the head coach of the Dolphins. And I think guys are going to want to play for him. So, no, and also I think, you know, they have some draft capital now. They have some money to spend. They're an organization that is, that is positioned to make some big improvements starting this off season. I'm actually going to be down there again 
next week for the Week 16 game against the Bengals. And, again, I, I think it'll just be a, a totally night and day from when I was there week one. I feel like the culture is more ingrained now and that, that they're, again, you say three wins, but I, I feel like that they're heading in the right direction. Well, I guess the Bengals are going to be nervous about New England videotaping. And, I mean, you would think that I, people don't know the story was this week that today that the Bengals criticized New England of taping the Bengals and it ended up they were just doing a documentary on a guy and it was just crazy. And I'm like thinking, I think the Bengals have more to worry about than than, than, the, than the Patriots taping them. But uh, but uh, we're talking to Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports, uh, who uh, uh, does broadcast the besides the NFL football for CBS, but also the Masters and the uh, NCAA college basketball tournament. But well, just a couple more questions, and, and we're going to get to the top teams right now. And I know you saw Lamar Jackson and the Ravens that first week, but um, you've caught them uh, the rest, of the, and they have just this emergence. I mean, people like Baltimore when the year started, but this is just, I mean, they've won nine in a row. They're dominating uh, they've, what they did to the Rams uh, on Monday night a few weeks ago. I don't think anyone's seen that in a game, especially how well the Rams have played since then. But uh, just talk about what you, where you think Baltimore is and what Lamar Jackson is doing to the league. Back to week one when I was down in, I was in Fort Lauderdale at the Ravens Hotel the night before week one. And John Harbaugh was in our meeting, and he told us that what they did with their offense in the offseason is going to change the way people think about playing football going forward. And I said to him, I said, John, that's a pretty bold statement. He <laughs> goes, I know, and I'm going to look really silly if our offense comes out and, and doesn't move the ball and score points and put up a whole bunch of yards. But that's how confident I feel about what we have. And that was Saturday night, September 7th. Wow. Now, I mean, a, and then, but Mark Ingram is 100% a true. What's that? But but Mark Ingram has played a big role as running back, too. I mean, besides Jackson, I mean, Ingram is just like, it just seems like every piece fits. They have, it just, I mean, from the offensive line to their tight ends, it's just they're perfect. And Lamar, what I like, what I, the problem I have is he seems, he's so intelligent. He knows when it's third and two how to get that first down. He, they don't, he doesn't try to throw a 50-yard pass all the time. It's just he plays smart. He makes the right decisions. And for a second-year player, that's surprising. Yeah, and to your point, they could beat you in so many different ways. You want to get a goal line package in there, give it to Ingram. They got a fullback. They got, a, they got two tight ends. You want to go deep and spread them out, Hollywood Brown. He flies down the field. I mean, they, they, they have so many different ways they can beat and then I guess the final, the final question would be the question that everyone's been talking about today. And I don't think you've done New England this year yet. But your opinion about the Patriots and about Brady – and like what is and in terms of is this i mean they have they if you look past the super bowl runs they've had those times where they they've had struggle they look terrible but could this be the end or is this just that small little speed bump and they're going to figure it out uh for the for the playoffs actually happened this week for the first time i'll be doing their game in cincinnati so i'm curious to see what they're all about uh, i definitely think that it's going to be a fascinating you know, spot that they're in with a lot of people counting them out. I still am not one of those guys. I still feel like this is just a slump. And, and yeah, are they as good as they were years ago? Probably not. But at the same time, they're still a team that's capable, I think, of winning the Super Bowl. So I, I'm, I'm really curious to see them this week. It'll be the first time I've ever had them. And uh, I know it's in Cincinnati, but they, this is an important game for them. They've got to get right. They've got to feel good about themselves going into the playoffs. So in doing your preparation for the game, you, you talk to the coaches and the, you, the quarterbacks and the coaches also. Uh, I mean, that's an insight that, I mean, that must be tremendous because you'll get to talk to Belichick and Brady. Yeah, no, no absolutely. It's part of our, our meetings every week with the teams. We talk to the coaches, maybe a coordinator, and, and then whatever players we, uh, we'd like to chat with. So it should be fascinating, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Wow. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming. I mean, you're the insight on the ASC. I mean, your focus, of course, is the ASC, but it's great. And uh, I just, I mean, I love this year. I think this has been a, just an awesome year for football uh, and, and surprising because everyone thinks, like, again, Lamar, when that first week when he said about Lamar Jackson, it's like no one, the things are happening that we didn't expect. And, and I think that's what's so exciting about what's happening. You have just no idea, like, who's going to be crowned the NFL champion because it could be anybody at this moment right now. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's been an awesome year. Week to week, you just never know what's going to happen, as we saw yesterday and we talked about with Houston 
in Denver. So I think we're, we're, we're set up for a, another big uh, playoff run here into the playoffs in January. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. Thanks a lot, Andrew, for coming on. And maybe we'll have you back uh, when it's warmer we'll, uh, for some golf and, uh, and talk about with the Masters coming up because we're going we're gonna to spend some time on our show talking about Tiger. But it looks like he's healthy and uh, could have a nice run this year uh, in, uh, for go- in the Masters. Yeah, can't wait. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. He is Andrew Catalan. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter, at Andrew Catalan. Great uh, interview with him, as always. <clears throat> Ira, uh, let's go back to football. I, I think we we got to really fly here. We don't have much time left, but that New England-Kansas City game, I, I always like to toot my own horn, horn when I'm right, but I do have to um, I do have to make the statement when, when I'm wrong. I thought that New England was going to put a lot better of a fight up here. I thought they were actually going to win this game. I think New England could have won the game, and we didn't really go into detail because Andrew, of course, covers the game. And, but the fact is that there was a lot of controversial calls in this game, and they were, they were out of the game, but they came back. Um, uh, at one point when uh, Kelsey fumbled the ball, and New England picked it up to run for a touchdown, but they was ruled that it wasn't a fumble, and then it was. They challenged it, and then they scored with uh, Harry, the touchdown pass at the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, they scored the touchdown, and, and they couldn't challenge it, which I think is they, they, they look at everything, and they challenge everything, and they review everything. But, of course, they don't review a, a touchdown. That was a clear touchdown because they said the referee was blocked by a photographer. <laughs> it's crazy. And, uh, but then at the end of the game, I thought the Patriots were, they took, like again, the kitchen sink. They were doing halfback options, flea flickers, getting it down. Um, I, I, they, I thought they were going to tie it. I mean, they had, they had first down on the eight-yard line, and, uh, and they couldn't score. And it just shows you, you wonder if Gronk was in there, uh, if they would have been able to score a touchdown on one of those last plays. But uh, it was look, a big win for Kansas City and a, and a bad loss for New England. And I'm just, but I'm not ready to put the fork in New England. I, I've, I've seen them come back, and I've seen them have these rough stretches. And, and I know it looks bad right now, but it was, but it was like when it was a rematch of the championship game last year, and I think, uh, I think Kansas City. But I wasn't impressed. Kansas City had that lead at a game, and then they went punt, punt, punt. Like they didn't, like Mahomes did not. Now they're saying he hurt his thumb or something. But again, you see that with Kansas City. They, they are, they're quick strike. They get the, the, the scores. But then there's those points in the game where they just don't move the ball at all. And I think it's going to hurt them in the playoffs. No, yeah, and I agree with you on that one. And this does happen every year, though. And I think people have a short memory that it's always the 10 and 2 or, you know, 10 and 1 New England team drops two or three games in November and December. And it's all like, ah, they're old. Tom Brady's done. And then we see him creep their way back into the Super Bowl. Um, going to be fighting them for that Super Bowl is going to be Baltimore. I think this is even a good look. You know, we talk about good losses. I'm not that mad if I'm the Buffalo Bills today, losing to the most explosive team in the league. You didn't keep Lamar in check, but he didn't go crazy. No, I mean, they were down 24-9 in the fourth, and uh, the Bills drove and scored and made it 24-17. I'm, I'm at the Phoenix game. We're, we're watching that game before, I, before we're going in. I mean, it's exciting to, to try to catch the end of that game and the uh, San Francisco-New Orleans game. But uh, i got to give – boy, the Bills, they play hard. And Josh Allen, if you're a Bills fan, you're like – you know what? He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not, but he's going to be pretty good. He completes the passes when he has to, and he runs when he has to. He's, he's a smart player, and I got it. The Bills' defense, you know, the Ravens against some of these games look like they can score every time. They they punt the ball seven times, and I know that doesn't seem that crazy, but seven times, and they held the Ravens to 257 yards. So I got to give the Bills. The Bills' defense is great. Allen played smart, and uh, I, I, this is this, of all the teams. I don't think that this is the year for the Bills. But next year, if they can get some more weapons on offense and, uh, and, and the defense keeps improving, boy, they're, this could, they're the team, of course, that's going to dethrone the, the Patriots if you're looking at where to go. And they have a chance. They play the Patriots in a week in Foxborough. They win that game, they could take the division. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that there's a, definitely a chance of that happening. Think about how they can draft now. Buffalo doesn't have to be pinned in drafting a quarterback with a top 10 pick every year. Imagine if they had some better guys on the outside than than Jones and Cole Beasley. You know, like, give this guy some weapons. They're tailoring the offense to him. I like the future for the Bills. Uh, we got to skip some of these games here. We have to talk about San Francisco and New Orleans, though. Ira, this was the equivalent of last year's Rams and Chiefs game, where it was just this all-out slug match till the end, and I'm kind of happy that San Francisco won. I'm, I'm getting on there bandwagon i wasn't i think this i hate to say this i think this game was bad for both teams and i know this sounds weird to say it's because i thought that new orleans defense was better and i think san francisco just picked it apart i mean they were in the first half each team scored four touchdowns they hit the ball five times each time they each team scored four touchdowns and punted once 
I thought San Francisco's defense was better, and I thought New Orleans' defense was better. And I, I, it was like one, they got in a track meet, but, I mean, both teams had 500 yards, which is, which is, put it in perspective, if you combine Baltimore and Buffalo, they didn't even have 500 yards combined, whereas each one of these teams had, had 500 yards. And the Saints came down and scored at the end of the game, uh, took the touchdown, and, but, and then they stopped. They had, this, they had the 49ers at fourth and two, and I'm, like, trying to watch. The Steelers game is about to start, so I'm, like, straddling, walking in, watching both things. And uh, Jimmy G on a fourth and two throws it to Greg Kittles and, uh, for a, a 39-yard run, and there was a face mask, and then that, that actually won them the game. And I've got to give Jimmy G credit on that. That was a, just a great play. He only had one interception in the game, no fumbles, uh, three snacks. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders has made a big, big uh, chain difference in that team, uh, providing that outside wide receiver, and uh, it just shows. But I, I just don't know. I think the defense... I, both teams had had very good defense. Of course, San Francisco is one of the best in the league, and uh, the points were were, were ridiculous. And, and again, I, I think that concerns me. New Orleans loses a game at home, uh, and also San Francisco won it. But what happened to their defense? I'm going to give them a pass on the defense because it was known from the first possession. The Saints just were like, "We're going to spread this out wide." It was it was like watching a seven on seven flag football match. <laughs> These teams were just coming out. We're going to score on every drive. You got to try to stop us, and that's what it was going to be. Who's going to make a defensive? stop at the end and it turned out nobody was going to they were just going to keep rolling either way that was an exciting game ira standings with uh what little bit of the season we have left well the, the patriots are a 10 and 3 but of course the bills at 9 and 4 if they beat the patriots in uh in, in uh, two gate two days could actually steal that uh but it's really i mean the, the baltimore is the number one seed they're in but there's this whole battle between the Houston and Tennessee at eight and five in in their in the in their division. Um, they play each other twice. From the Steelers' perspective, uh, they're going to get in. <laughs> I mean, because Houston and Buffalo, Tennessee, one team has to lose, and one team's going to win the division. And the question is, can Kansas City? Will Kansas City be able to take the number two seed? They're nine and four. They're one game behind the Patriots. If the Patriots slip up, as Andrew said, they could take and have another bye. And the Patriots, could you imagine the Patriots have to play that first week and then go on the road? But I, I, as the Steelers, I think they're almost a short of a playoff. The things I short of, I think the Steelers are in the playoffs, and I think Baltimore is uh, uh, going to be the number one seed. But it, it's really exciting. It really becomes down between Houston and Tennessee. One of them is going to be in, and one of them is going to be out. And consider they play each other twice, uh, they'll be able to decide it on the field. Ira, um, it was breaking news today. Steven Strasburg is going to remain a Washington National, sign the biggest contract ever, seven years, $245 million, biggest on average per year. You like this deal for the, for the Nationals? What's your takes on this? And also, what is this going to mean for what Garrett Cole's going to get paid? Well, we're going to have Jesse Doherty next week. Uh, Jesse Doherty is like with the Nationals' beat cover writer for the Washington Post, wrote a book called Fighting Back. So we're going to have plenty of time to talk about the Nationals and everything. But it's a move that they said they are going to hire either keep Anthony Rendon or Steve Strasburg. And I do like when teams keep their own players. I think Strasburg, they want, especially when you win a title with someone and, and they're the MVP, uh, everyone thought it was going to be six years, 180, and he got seven years, 245. 35 million a year. Um, before that, David Price was 217, seven years. And Scherzer has two, seven years at 210 million. No one thought that he's 31 years old. Uh, Cole's 29. And as I said, people thought most was going to get was 180, and he got 245 million. But I don't know if I like it. I, his, his injury. It's, it's like something they had to make, but in two or three years, and he's on the DL or injured list, however they call it right now. I don't think it's going to be good, but I do like the fact that the Nationals have to keep this enthusiasm. They don't. If the contracts were out there, then they had to do it. But for Cole, certainly, I mean, he's represented by Scott Boris. This, is, this contract could be forever. I mean, he's two years younger. He's healthier. He's never been on the disabled list, never been injured with an arm injury. I mean, he could sign for $300 million. Um, and it looks like it's between the Yankees and the Angels and the Dodgers for Cole. And the question is, what happens with Anthony, Anthony Rendon? Does he go down to Texas? Does he go to the Dodgers? Or could the Nationals spend even more money? I mean, they're already paying uh, Scherzer $30 million a year. They're paying Corbin $20 million a year. And now they're going to play Strasburg $35 million a year. But uh, last year we had to wait till. March or February, really, to get Harper and, and Machado signed. Boy, this is great that, that Strasburg signs right now and uh, gets the ball rolling for the Nationals. Right? I mean, how, how nice is it to actually have stuff falling into place before spring training's underway? I'm a fan of that. I, I, I do think they let Rendon walk. I don't think it's just, it's just not in the books for them. I agree with you what you said. And Strasburg, 
great pitcher when he's on, but he's a 10-game-a-year miss. You know what I mean? He He's going to miss a month every season at least. When this contract, when he's 37 and 38 years old, they're not going to be liking paying him You know the, the AAV that he's going to be getting. And watch out. I think the reason they did this, the uh, Nationals have a kid named Carter Keboom who should be making his uh, Major League debut next season. He was, you know, bouncing around double-A, triple-A. He could play third base, so I think that's their solution to kind of try to cover up uh, the hole from Anthony Rendon with a top prospect. Real quick in boxing, Ira, you said this one was kind of predictable, but it's paving the road for some big stuff down the road. Well, Anthony Joshua beats Andy Ruiz. I watched the, in June Ruiz upset Joshua, like one of the biggest upsets in the world, and then he spent the next six months eating, and he gained. He, he fought the first fight at 268, and he said, well, I'm going to be down to 250, and then he, he fought at 284. He's only six foot one, so he fought his... He was partying and buying cars, and Joshua cut his weight from 248 to 237. In the first fight, he let himself get hit by Ruiz. In this fight, he really spent 12 rounds just jabbing, winning the fight. And uh, exciting that they fought in Saudi Arabia. They were fighting in the dunes. It was the biggest sporting event in the history of Saudi Arabia. Uh, but it sets up Wilder and Fury fight on the 22nd. And the winner against Joshua, I mean, now you're getting the heavyweights in these big matches. And, and I think if Ruiz would have won, it would have been questioned. But I think with Joshua winning and, and, and dominating, he won, uh, there were 12 rounds, won 11 out of 12 rounds on most of the judges' scorecards and wasn't hurt. So I think it really sets up between Wilder and Fury on the 22nd. And then you're going to get to see Joshua probably, probably in the summer or the next fall uh, in, a, in a huge match between those two. And then one more boxing you know, Terrence Crawford, who some people think is the best pound-for-pound fighter, is fighting this week on, on ESPN. Ira, speaking of this weekend, we're going to kick the President's Cup off. Tell us a little bit about golf, because I'm excited. Well, it's, it's a weird event. I mean, in terms of, we talk about the Ryder Cup, and what happened is that the Ryder Cup used to be England, and then it was Europe, and then what happened to the rest of people in South Africa and Australia and all these other good golfers. So they created this in, in 1994. The U.S. has won 10-1-1. I mean, it's like they dominated in this. And it's the same format, foursomes, four balls, and they have singles competition. It's interesting because Tiger is the playing captain, so he got to pick. And, and you might not know a lot of the international players. Uh, they have Matsuyano from uh, Japan, Adam Scott, Louis Oosthuizen. Uh, the Americans, everybody knows who all they are, but there's no Brooks Kepka. He's uh, recovering from a knee surgery. No Jordan Spieth because he had a terrible year. And Dustin Johnson is playing, but he just had knee surgery also, so there's a question what's going to happen. But, I mean, Tiger's back. He's playing well. They played this Hero World Challenge. There was an 18-player field, and Tiger finished in third. He looks great. Uh, he looks like he's playing, and I don't know how much he's going to play in this because he's a captain. He's supposed to be setting the matchups and, and working with the captain. And, uh, but it's going to be exciting. Anytime you get to see Tiger play, all the, all the best Americans will be there, you know, so you get to see that. But it uh, airs on Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday and Saturday. So, like, Saturday they play. It's like in prime time because of the time in Australia. So it'll be interesting just to see it and just get uh, people excited for golf coming up because Tiger, unlike last year, I mean, Tiger looks healthy. He's ready to go. And, and I mean, everyone said, oh, he might win one. I mean, he said he's going to play more tournaments. Um, and he had that knee surgery that helped him. So I'm excited to see to watch this President's Cup. Ira, tonight, my New York Giants taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. This has got a lot of implications on the NFC East because, you know, the Eagles need to win this game to uh, finally make up some ground on Dallas, who's been losing as well. Who do you like tonight with Eli Manning back under center? Well, we just said the entire NFC is set. I mean, there are six teams that are going to get it, and the, and the Cowboys are 6-7. and seven. The Cowboys could have run around or away with this division, and they keep losing games. And the Eagles uh, have only won five and five and six, but um, the Eagles are favored by nine. I mean, they're a five. Their team is favored by nine and a half, and they've only won five games. They've lost three in a row. Uh, but people are betting on the Eagles. Sixty-two percent of the money. I, I would. I mean, the Giants' defense is horrendous. I mean, Cousins, Trublitsky, Sam Darnell have all torched, have had bad games, and then torched the Giants' defense. I mean, this could be the antidote for Carson Wentz's season. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of nostalgic, and I think Eli's going to come and have this like crazy, amazing game. So take the Giants plus nine and a half. Ira, I like the way you think because I agree with you wholeheartedly. Where are you headed this week? Um, Steelers Bills on Sunday. This is a huge game. They move the game till to uh, to uh, prime time, and there's not. It's weird. It's like the one major game, and I think the Steeler Bill game on Sunday night uh, at Heinz Field is going to be awesome, and it's going to be crucial for both teams. So I can't wait to see that game. Thank you, Andrew Catalan from CBS, so much for joining us here on behalf of Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.